the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. In the book of Acts, we're introduced to some of the greatest heroes the church has. In the beginning of chapter 6, we're introduced to a man called Stephen. And then at the end of chapter 7, because of what Stephen did and the message he preached, we're introduced to another man called Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. You see, as Luke writes the book of Acts, he introduces these individuals along the way that changed the world and did this. They turned the world upside down. Alex, it's good to be with you today, and we're thankful that people are listening to Exploring the Word, and uh, we're continuing in the book of Acts. It's a great journey, isn't it? Well, it really is, and we appreciate everybody listening and telling others, and it seems like, Bert, we're so fortunate. We hear from people all the time that are brand new listeners, people who, by email or phone calls, they'll say that they just discovered Exploring the Word, and we are in the New Testament book of Acts. By the way, we will get to phone calls here in a few minutes, and the number, toll-free, nationwide, if you have a Bible question, any Bible question, but the number is 888-589-8840. You can also email us, and your email might become the subject matter for a future show, but you can email us, word at afr.net, W-O-R-D, word at afr.net, as in American Family Radio. But we do love to hear from people and folks with all sincerity, uh, those who listen, those who call, and those who uh, follow us on Facebook. We appreciate we appreciate you, each and every one. We really do. And so we're going to dig in today because we really need to, we've got to finish chapter 7 and get into chapter 8 when uh, it's it's a gigantic event in life. And so here we find Stephen. Uh, he had preached a sermon, and they got angry at him, and they brought him before everyone, and they decided they would stone him. And uh, I want to start with verse 54. It's in Acts chapter 7. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. They big grinding their teeth, spitting, angry. But he, talking about Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, Alex, uh, again, I look at verse 59 and verse 60, and I see the words of Stephen, but I also remember the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Bert, this really is one of the most moving parts, I think, of the of the New Testament. I mean, here's the gospel, the message of life, and it's being responded to with cries of death. Uh, verse 54 of Acts 7, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction. But rather than humility and repentance, 
They gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean, they were cursing. They were enraged. And Birch knew that that similar rage against the message of salvation and repentance. Uh, there are people today that gnash with their teeth. G, you know, G-N-A-S-H-E-D, gnashing, you know, just screaming in rage at the sound of truth. And yes, the truth is in the love of God and the forgiveness of God, but there's also truth in telling the world about the, the evil of sin and the need to repent. But I, I've always uh, just been so, you know, uh, intrigued by this, you know, 55 through 60. Stephen is looking up to heaven, and verse 55, Bert, I, I bet you'll know why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Stephen sees the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Here is a man being put to death, gone to the the hands of execution for his stance for God. And there with him at his most critical moment is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, Bert, that reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know why? You, I bet. I do. Go ahead. Yes, I thought of that as well, but go ahead. Well, there was a fourth man in the fire protecting and preserving their life, and that fourth man was the Son of God. Bert, um, hopefully nobody listening ever has to go through the fires of persecution or, heaven forbid, stoning, but we all do have stresses and struggles in life. And I want to tell you, the fourth man in the fire with the three Hebrew children, the Son of God there to receive Stephen. In all of our trials and valleys, the dear Lord Jesus is going to be with us too, won't he? He is. Now listen, to, and I love the contrast. In the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fourth man in the fire delivered them out of the fire. Right. With y- Stephen being stoned, Jesus saw him through the stoning and was pulling for him. Listen, our faith is in God. The results of what happens in that faith is in the hands of God. The greatest faith you demonstrate is trusting him with who you are, with what you're doing, and with outcome. And so, again, this is so strong. I also thought of this. He saw the glory of God. I couldn't help but think of Isaiah as well. Uh, all these just come bring – when you know the Bible stories, Alex, you read one and it makes you think of another. And Amen. You know, yeah. you saw Isaiah in the year that Uzziah died. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he saw the Lord on the throne, and his glory just filled the temple. And here is Stephen years later, uh, you know, coming and seeing and observing that same glory of God. And so, Alex, it's a great story here. Stephen sees it. I think he's encouraged by it. And he verbalized it, and he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They could not take that truth. They could Mm -hmm. not understand that. They were so foreign to how God operated that they couldn't understand what was taking place. And so, again, as you said, he's speaking truth. He's standing on truth. And what happens? Well, for him, it brings death. But let me just say, it's a glorious death. It can be a glorious deliverance like it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or it can be a glorious death the way it was for Stephen. But either way, Alex, it's glorious, isn't it? 
Well, it is. And let me say in uh, Acts 760, okay, you know, Stephen is being murdered, being stoned to death. And boy, that's got to be pretty painful. Bert, I got hit in the head with a baseball one time, and I remember how badly that hurt. And imagine people throwing rocks till you died, right? Uh, had to be incredibly painful. Uh, verse 59, they stoned Stephen, calling upon God. That's what Stephen was doing, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay not this sin to their charge. Just like Jesus from the cross. I mean, how Christ-like. Uh, from the cross, the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Stephen, as he is dying, says the same thing. But then, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, here's the thing. The Greek word for death is thanatos. And you might remember that poem you probably read in high school, Thanatopsis. It's about death, right? But the word here uh, that is translated, he fell asleep, I'm not going to try to pronounce it actually, but it's a kind of a multi-syllable Greek word. And listen to this, Stephen, it says he fell asleep. Now the word therefore, quote, fell asleep, it can mean falling asleep. And it said sometimes means falling asleep, not to wake up again. Why am I saying this? Um, it's not the same word as a, a painful death or a casualty. It's the word falling asleep. Now imagine one day as a believer falling asleep and waking up in heaven. And, you know, the Bible says that, that death is the enemy. But as Paul says, you know, oh, death, where is your sting? Uh, Christ's resurrection has removed the sting of death, right? So, Bert, here's the thing. None of us want to die. That's, you know, to, to want to live is only rational. And even as a Christian, secure, absolutely secure in Jesus, you know, none of us really look forward to the process of dying. But here it's a little reminder, the word there for Stephen's death, falling asleep— um, none of us is afraid of taking a nap, you know? In fact, the longer I live, the more I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's my point, and I'll throw it back to you. It's not the word for a painful death. It's not the word for some violent casualty. It's, it's like going to sleep. And that's a, one of the beautiful things about being a believer is that uh, Christ will receive us, and death not fun, but as a born-again believer, to be falling into the arms of our Savior, really, even Christ has, at least to a degree, taken away the fear of death, hasn't he? He really has. Alex, when you were talking about that, I looked this up and used it Sunday. It was about Bill and Gloria Gaither, great songwriters. They were poets beyond measure. And they had a song, His Name is Wonderful. And in a concert, they would sing that, and then they'd take a break. And then Gloria would read one of her many, many poems or readings. And in that, it's talking about Jesus at the name of Jesus. And close to the middle of it, she said, I've seen, I've sat at the beside the bed of a dying saint when she would utter that precious name with her last ebb and strength, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus brings what he brings to our life in salvation. He brings to our life in living, but he also brings that same grace at death. 
God's saving grace is the same grace we live by, but it's also the same grace that we die by. And so no wonder he doesn't use the painful word for death, but that peaceful word, and that's the key word, peaceful. It's asleep. When you take that nap, you lay down your head in peace. Here we find Stephen, although he's been stoned on the outside, on the inside with that presence of God in his life, he lays down his life in peace. And that's why we want everybody that is hearing us today, Alex, to have that relationship with Jesus Christ that brings peace in life and brings peace at death. And you can have it by trusting Christ. And if you Amen. need to know more, you can call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. And there's some people there that will pray with you. They will encourage you and help you. And we're going to continue in Acts chapter 8 when we come back. And that Saul that you heard about, we're going to hear more about him later. So take, stay tuned for more here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We're in Acts chapter 8 now, wrapping up Acts chapter 7, exploring the word here. We welcome you, Alex and Bert. Stephen dies, and in his final breath, he says, Lord, do not lay this into their charge. Acts 8.1 is where we pick up, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Well, Bert, this is, we're going to see the hand of God, the sovereign hand of God, even amidst the opposition to the gospel and to the church. And this is where we are, Acts 8. But um, the first martyr, uh, Stephen really is the first martyr in the church age, isn't he, Bert? He, He really is. And what a man he was. He was one of the seven that was chosen to take care of waiting on tables. And I I don't know when he found out he had these gifts, but he had these gifts. The apostles, I think, as, as it says in the Bible, part of the pastor's job is to equip the saints. And to equip the saints, you discover them. And so Stephen was a preacher. He started preaching. And, and this is what happened. Now, Alex, I want to bring this up. I, I don't know if you ever, have you ever gone in, I'm, I'm odd. I enjoy going through cemeteries and look at headstones, not wanting to be there, but I was in one, one day and I saw a man who was a, from what I knew and what it said, he is a Christian. He died on the day that I was born. Now that, that, that happened. And it was, you know, looking at that headstone, uh, April the 13th, 1952, he died. That's the day I was born. Here is Stephen. He is dying, but Stephen's not saved on that day. And I'm not saying that, but the, I am telling you, there's no doubt those words that Stephen spoke got into his head and he could not get them out. Father, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. That was Stephen who was consenting to his death. And here was the man. He was uh, helping stone or at least uh, had the papers 
to show that they could do that and it be legal. And they and he prayed for him. So Alex, uh, God doesn't waste anything, does he? Well, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. But we see here, we get some insight how this all came together. Uh, and I, I don't mean to be flippant, but Saul had put a hit on Stephen, really. So, uh, Saul approved this, and, and Saul had the authority. We're going to later learn it when Paul the Apostle shares his testimony that he had been given authority to persecute the church in the strongest possible way. But God's sovereignty was at work here because it says there in verse 1, that as the church was scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, at least for right now, the disciples, apostles, the followers of Jesus, and, you know, Matthias replaced Judas. The twelve, in other words, with Matthias, yes. They're back in Jerusalem, but everybody else scatters. Even Satan trying to squelch the church is actually spreading out the Christians— and uh, furthering the spread of the gospel. He really is. Look at verse 4, and I, I know you want to read 2 and 3. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Okay. <laughs> they, Satan's purpose, yes, he was wanting to, to be quiet. They was wanting uh, Stephen to be quiet, the apostles to be quiet, so they persecuted them. They brought on more persecution, and in place of them being quiet, it scattered and it went I love those words, everywhere, and everywhere they went, they was preaching the word of God. Now, Alex, again, uh, God, Satan meant it for evil, but God uses it for good. That's our God. People talk about the sovereignty of God so much, and I, I believe in it. I think it's best demonstrated when Satan tries to do something that is evil, God turns it around and does it for good. That displays the power and the sovereignty of God as much as anything I know. Mm. Well, uh, it says in verse 2 about Stephen's burial, devout men carried Stephen to his burial. You know, the last time we had read uh, a verse similar to this was in Acts 5, when men carried out Ananias and Sapphira to their burial in disgrace. Stephen is carried out honorably, uh, and you want... When they carry you out to your burial, friend, and they will, uh, let it be in a godly way where, I mean, people might mourn, but in a way they rejoice because of how much you meant to people and how much you meant to the the work of the Lord. They made great lamentation. Uh, Saul, verse 3, was making havoc of the church. He was breaking into houses, um, you know, it says in verse 3 of the King James, hailing, H-A-L-I-N-G, men and women, committing them to prison. In other words, just having them arrested on the street. Imagine, just it, it is known that you're a believer, you're just going about your business, and you get uh, arrested and put in jail. Um, but it, it, in verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad whenever were preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which were di- done. Okay, there's um, deliverances from unclean spirits. There's healing of the lame. And verse 8, there was great joy in that city. Now, people aren't quiet. People aren't afraid, 
and people aren't abandoning Christ, it's almost like uh, with the best blows Satan can try to strike, the presence and the power and the blessing of God only increases. Bert, I, I want to say that again about the people today. You know, we've got Marxist, secularist, atheist, libertines, the LGBTQ trans, you know, the, the alphabet mafia is what I call them. Let me tell you, you can't put God in checkmate. <laughs> Don't be discouraged, folks. Uh, any weapon Satan can fire at the gospel, a sovereign God is only going to make it redound more and more to the knowledge and awareness of Jesus. Amen. The gospel works under all conditions, folks. Persecution or prosperity, freedom or in imprisonment, the gospel works. Uh, I got an email from a chaplain that's working in the prison system, and he was talking about the possibility of coming and sharing because there's so many of those inmates that's listening to and exploring the Word and the possibility of making a connection with them. And I, I just want to tell you, the gospel works everywhere, in prison or in the palace. The, the gospel works in all conditions, and here it is again. Uh, the multitudes, with one accord, they, they spoke and they responded. There was joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city, and he was astonished, the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. The Philip came along. When people saw what God could do over what sorcery could do, guess what they did? They turned from that sorcery and was turning to God, and he is, is kind of upset about it, but he knew God was doing a great work. And, and Alex, you can go ahead and read all that, but verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Listen, uh, he, I, if they were deacons, and, and people talk about the seven deacons, they were at least, if they weren't, they were still servants. And uh, whether they, what office they had, you can argue over the name all day. But those seven men that waited on tables, Stephen and Philip, boy, I'm telling you what they made it. They they made the most of it, did they not? Well, they really did. They really did, and that's what we can do as well. They're just amazing how God is touching lives. Philip is preaching. Uh, Simon himself believed also. Continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Okay, verse fourteen. There's a little bit of a transition. When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. But isn't it good? It's not just a person, but the region. You get the impression that this entire region was impacted with the gospel. And when they were come down, Peter and John came, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen, he, the Holy Spirit, Upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay, Bert, you and I have talked about this a number of times. This was a little bit of a, of a transitional period. Christ is risen, Christ is ascended, Pentecost happened, the church is growing. Bert, as I understand Scripture, and I, as I understand the work of the gospel— I believe a person becomes indwelt with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Now, 
actually, the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, all of our life, even as a little child, if you understand right from wrong and you do wrong, your conscience, you know, weighs on you. That's really the Holy Spirit. But Bert, um, when a person is born again, and one of the Bible words for that is regenerated, made alive, you put your faith in Jesus and your sins are washed away, your spirit that was dead is made alive. The Spirit of the Lord indwells you and seals you and is with you for the absolute rest of your life. But you read like Acts 8, and you read about repentance and the laying on of hands. This is, I don't really have a better word for it. It's a little bit of a transitional time. Uh, The time of Christ's ministry to the solid uh, establishment of the church. And so a lot of what we read in the book of Acts um, is, is just, it was a different time than than now, isn't it? It really is, and it is, the transition is there, and you see that they had not even. It's going to happen later. They had not even heard of the Holy Spirit over later on when, uh, when we find out Priscilla and Aquila sharing with with Apollos. So it's going to happen during this transition. But let me share. It gives authority to the apostles uh, because at this transition time, there is no New Testament. So the apostles and their ministry was so necessary, and and he keeps them alive. Now, James is going to be put to death later on, but the majority of them would stay alive for quite a while. And, and so this was able for them to teach others. Some way they had taught Stephen and Philip, and now they continue to do that. And this authority that the apostles had at that time, the 12, was very important. And so when they came to town and they saw that, it gave strength to their teaching. And it says that Simon wanted to buy that, and uh, Peter says, no way, this is not for sale. Verse 20, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, that is that strong word, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by the bitterness and bound by iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you've spoken may come upon me. So, Alex, uh, you know, Simon, was it a partial belief? Was it com- complete belief? But at least it wasn't complete understanding. Regardless, he is he has misplaced the power. He thought the power... He was intrigued by the power, that more than anything else. And he thought, man, if I can have this, uh, I can. I, I think he was wanting his position back because uh, he, had, he had been the man there for a while because of the works he could do through sorcery. And now they're seeing, hey, they're turning away from him and turning to others. Do you think he's wanting some of the power back, or do you think it's just complete misunderstanding? Uh, you know, I, I think it was a lot of both, don't you think? Combination. Um, yeah, probably yeah. you're right. You're probably yeah. right. You, you know, there's a famous story. i got to tell this story about uh, Lee Robertson. You remember? Mm-hmm. And I bet you'll know the story that I'm going to um, reference here. Lee Robertson, wasn't he at Bellevue uh, years before Adrian Rogers? No, no. He was up in Chattanooga. Started Temple. Uh, you're right. Yeah, that's where he you're, was from. Yeah. You're, you're right. Um, but um, years ago, back in the 19th century, P.T. Barnum of the Barnum and Bailey Circus tried to get— 
Charles Spurgeon to come from England, and and P.T. Barnum, who was a showman, he said, look, I'll set up a speaking tour, and I'll pay you $1,000 per lecture. I'll get you so many engagements. If you come over here and let me manage your tour, you'll become a wealthy man. And they say that uh, Spurgeon wrote back and said, I, I received your invitation. Uh, look up Acts 8.20 and Acts 13.10, and you'll find my response. And it's basically, <laughs> you know, thy money perish with thee. Yeah. Isn't that something? It is. He couldn't be bought. But um, here's the thing. You can't buy spiritual power with money. Simon, uh, after the healings, the baptisms, and, uh, you know, casting out demons, he thought that um, he could offer money and give me this power. Uh, I mean, it's hard to even read Acts 8.19, isn't it? It really is. It's it's so hurtful and disappointing. Uh, We don't know every outcome, but again, God uses it for good. And he prays that, he said, don't let these things come upon me. Verse 25, and we'll finish this one up for the day, and then that means Monday. We're going to start with Philip and the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. That's going to be awesome. But listen to this in verse 25. I, I highlighted it, Alex. It was so important to me. So when they, and we're talking about Peter and, and John, had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. Now, they went to Samaria just to check it out. But on the way back, guess what they did? Preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. God is, these apostles, what they had been doing with, they had been dealing mostly with uh, the Jews. Do you remember when they went through Samaria in John chapter 4? They were trying to kind of hide out from the Samaritans. But now they go back to Jerusalem and they stop off in the villages in Samaria and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a difference in these men, Alex. Mm. Well, this is Exploring the Word, folks, and the gospel does make a difference. It made a difference then. If you let Christ into your life, it'll make a difference now. Stay tuned. We're going to come back. Take your phone calls on Exploring the Word. Don't go away. We'll be back after this. I've seen shame, the kind that comes from mistakes, the kind that won't go away. When I turned around, they were right there to remind me. I've seen regret, the kind that messes with your head, the failures and the can't forget. But standing here now, I'm thinking God is behind me. Amen. Thank you for listening to Exploring the Word. This is Bertie and Alex, and we're ready to take phone calls. That number is 888-589-8840. The board is lighting up, so we've got people that want to ask us questions. Alex, are you ready to do that? Well, I am ready to do that, and we welcome each and every one of you. We're going to begin in Arkansas. Uh, Nancy in Arkansas, thanks for holding. You're the first caller on today's edition of Exploring the Word. Well, I am very thankful because usually I have a question and I am at work before I can answer or y'all can answer my question. Well, thank Where you for listening. in the Bible does it say that we are not to worship on Saturday but Sunday? Okay. Uh, it does not say that. What happened, uh, Nancy, is the resurrection. The resurrection changed everything. It really did. And what the early church did and what those that followed did, they said, you know, 
the Sabbath was in recognition of creation. You remember that when God created yeah. the heavens and the earth on six days and on the seventh he rested? That was about creation, and that was awesome, and we could worship him. But when Jesus came, he even did something of greater significance, and that's redemption. And the resurrection took place on Sunday, the first day of the week, and they began to worship on that day. That's when it changed. Nancy, Alex, would you add to that? Well, you know, one of the verses we know from uh, the book of Acts, we know from early church history, that Christians worshiped on Sunday because that was Resurrection Day. But in 1 Corinthians 16.2, the Apostle Paul says regarding tithing and offering, um, on the first day of the week, each one of you should put aside and save and give as God has prospered you that there be no collections when I come. Now, uh, so clearly there was something associated with Sunday. Now, I want to say this. People have asked this question, Bert. They'll say, when did the Sabbath get moved? It didn't. It did not. Saturday, the Sabbath always was on Saturday, and it, it still is. But we don't, as part of our salvation, observe a Saturday Sabbath because we are in the perpetual Sabbath of the one who's Lord of the Sabbath. But one last thing, uh, Bert, I think it's very interesting. Um, there's a scholar named Dr. Gary Habermas, and he's written many, many books, but one of which, probably the most famous, is called The Historical Jesus, Ancient Evidence for the Life of Christ. And he documents Jewish, Greek, and Roman writers that were not Christians, but they document the activities of the church. And this comes from within probably six to eight weeks after the crucifixion. So we're talking incredibly early, within two months after Calvary, um, the Roman uh, historians were recording that Christians gather early on the first day of the week and sing hymns to Christ as unto God. So you've got worship, you've got belief in the deity of Christ singing uh, as unto God, but also, when did they meet? On Sunday. And so we do today, because that was Resurrection Day. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. Where to next, Good. Alex? Uh, John in Tennessee. Uh, John, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Uh, hello. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, welcome. Anyways, um, I had a uh, an ongoing debate I had with someone about a doctrine of the doctrine of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've ever heard of that. But someone I know, he believes that after a person is saved, that there is some sort of second anointing or outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the evidence is in speaking in tongues suddenly. And he says all his evidence is in the book of Acts, like uh, the examples of people who did speak in tongues after receiving the Holy Spirit, but doesn't seem to reconcile, though, at least to me, where it says elsewhere in the Bible that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, comes upon us at the moment of our salvation. So I wanted to know if you could help me, like, resolve this. Thank you, John. Praise yes. the Lord. Well, brother, I, we appreciate you listening and calling. Alex, let me say this concerning the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit comes in at the point of salvation for us. Yeah. 
those evidences that you see in the book of Acts, we went over that a little bit today because this is what Peter and John came and laid hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit. It was a transition period, the whole book of that. But when you get into the letters that talk and speak about doctrine, the book of Acts, I'm not saying you don't have doctrine in it. You do have doctrine in it. But you have a report of how God operated and what he was doing. But in the book, you find out the Holy Spirit comes into that person at the moment of salvation. Now, if, if but there's one baptism, but let me say this, and it'd take us longer than today for us to fill this all out, John, but there's many fillings. The filling, the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. And the main evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not degrading anyone, it's not speaking in tongues, but it is the fruit of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Alex, take it away. I think the two key passages, Bert, one is 1 Corinthians 12, and the other is Ephesians 4. Um, How do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? if you've trusted Christ. Now, there are various spiritual gifts and their manifestations, um, and, and yeah, tongues can be one of those, uh, but 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen says that we've all been baptized into one spirit, Jew, Gentiles, slave or free, all made to drink of one spirit. Ephesians 4, 5 says this, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So Bert... Um, baptism means immersed in, filled with, a part of. In other words, if you've been a born-again Christian, you've put your faith in Jesus, you're, you are baptized into the Holy Spirit. You, you could say with, in, by, um, and Ephesians 4.30 goes on. But I, I would encourage people, here's the thing, salvation baptizes you into the Holy Spirit joins you with the body of Christ, and regardless of whatever spiritual gift you discover you have or whatever manifestation, um, if you've repented and put your faith in Jesus, you're in. Good question, John. Don in Oklahoma. Welcome, Don. Hi, you guys. How you doing this afternoon? Good. good. Thanks for calling. Well, keep it up. Anyway, I just wanted to make a comment about the Sabbath. Jesus himself said that uh, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. (laughs) And I think that kind of, he kind of uh, was letting people know that, uh, hey, you got to have to worship all the time, you know, in spirit and in truth. Amen, Don. Good comment, Alex. That that is good. Every day we should worship him. There's gathering days when we gather together. And uh, there's people that work on Sunday. They have to work on Sunday. They're policemen. They're firemen, nurses. They, they, they got jobs where it requires them. And I praise God for those men and women that I have pastored. They couldn't be there on a Sunday morning. But, man, like Wednesday night, and some would have church another day of the week, Saturday, uh, setting aside a time to gather together with God's people. But Sunday morning is when the early church did it, and I think we're in good good standing, Alex. Amen. We're going to go to James in Ohio. James, thanks for holding, and welcome. All right. Thank you, guys. Uh, First of all, I think you two are two of the greatest men of God I've ever heard on the radio, and I just appreciate everything you do. But my question is, 
the way that people dress when they go to church these days. Now, I was raised that a man dresses like a man and a woman dresses like a woman. But some of the churches that I see, it's like it's more of a, I don't know, it's just like they've lost of how to dress and how to, you know, it's, I think people are seeing that, well, I can just go to church any way I like. I'm just wondering what your feelings are on that. Okay, James. Great comment. Great question. Let me just share with you. Uh, I think most churches, a lot of churches struggling with that. And I'm going to try to say this as kindly and as great as I can. Ladies, dress in a way that it does not draw attention to the way you're dressed. I, I don't know how else to say that. Uh, we have men, and I know, I've talked to them, Alex, men who struggled with pornography, and uh, they they got saved, started going to church. But especially in the summertime, the way some of the ladies dressed, uh, it caused them to say, you know, I, I, I stay home better than I can be at church. Now, that has happened. I've heard it, Alex. I, I don't know how else to answer that. Go ahead, brother. Maybe you can do it more well, with more finesse than I can. Yeah, well, modesty. You know, I, I'm not a legalist. I'm not. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that you have to put on a suit and tie. But, um, And I, I know this, too. It says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. I think when we're uh, going to church, the main thing we ought to think about is the— uh, the the state of our heart but um i i do think that we ought to um you know give god our best and um not do anything that would be immodest or detract from the main purpose of worship which is to point people to jesus but um we're going to go to tacoma and uh, tacoma are you in kansas do i have that right i am sir you're welcome Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead with your question, Tacoma. So my question is, uh, I've been reading in the Bible about uh, the ones that, uh, humans, of course, that um, that are not saved and that Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you, to everlasting fire. Is that actually everlasting fire in the Word exactly, or how is that translated? Is it really hell eternal for the humans? I know it's for the demons, but is it for humans as well? Okay. L- let me go ahead, Alex. Bur- yeah, go ahead. This is like Revelation fourteen eleven uh, speaks about the punishment of hell being forever and ever. Um, let me say this: that I I do believe that it, some statements of faith will say it this way: the everlasting conscious bliss of the saved the everlasting conscious punishment of the lost. And and here's why, yes, indeed, eternity is everlasting. Folks, the Bible does not teach annihilation, that the lost will someday just be snuffed out. Because look, the Spirit lasts forever. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says we are body, soul, and spirit. Our body our mind, that's really our soul, the word psyche, but then pneuma is our spirit. And Bert, the, the human spirit is everlasting. That's why it's imperative that people be born again, because, folks, you will, mark it down, either heaven or hell, you will be everlasting somewhere. The spirit 
never dies. And so um, it's important to make sure that you've put your faith in Christ. Amen. Um, Jan in Arkansas. Jan, thanks for holding. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Thank you, Alex and Bert. Uh, myself and my uh, group were wondering how, who determined and how is it that Jesus died the number 33 years old? Or how does that work? Okay. In other words, how do we know he was 33, Jan, when he did die? Well, what? No, well, no. Why? Why the age of thirty-three? Okay. Well, when you read the, let me start real quickly, Alex. I don't have a lot of time. We find out Jesus was on a timetable, God's timetable, the Father's. He was always doing the will of the Father. I came to do the Father's will, and it says at it says over in the Book of John, and you can go through this, Jan, in the Book of John. When Jesus is saying, my time has not yet come, my time is not now, the hour has not come. But when it comes to that time, he says, the hour has come. Look over in the book of John chapter 12, and you'll see my hour has come. Jesus was the one that was in control. He is the one, he and the Father are the ones who determined the time. Alex, go ahead. Well, uh, you know, also he was the second Adam, and, you know, People ask, how old was Adam when he was created? You know, he was just minutes old, but he was fully mature. Um, many people have felt like the 30s are the prime of life. And, you know, we're going to have a resurrected body one day like Christ. 33 is kind of the, the prime of life in, in a lot of ways. Uh, aging and health issues have not crept in. So Jesus, the second Adam that came to restore all things, pay our sin debt, um, for at, at the very least, and the specific nuances about why he was 33, you know, Bert, sometimes when you try to uh, figure out what numbers completely mean in Scripture, although the definitive book on this is Numbers in Scripture by E.W. Bullinger, but I don't know, sometimes it gets a little speculative, but he was the perfect man at the perfect age, and we're going to get a perfect body like his. Bert, maybe... Maybe in heaven we'll be in that glorified body and we'll be a, an approximation of what it means to be 33. I think know? you're right. And, uh, Jan, uh, I, I know this. A lot of things I do not understand, but it was the right time. It was his time. And, you know, it was determined by God. Why? I think Alex did a great job of sharing that. And the main thing we want everyone who is listening, make sure that you know Jesus is Savior. These questions, they're awesome. We love them. But the biggest question is when God will ask you, why should I let you into my heaven when you die? Your answer, I pray, will be, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. He came into my life. He changed my life. And I am ready to be with the Savior. Alex, our desire is for everybody to know Jesus, isn't it? It is. It is. And like the old song says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Thanks for listening. Be with us again tomorrow on Exploring the Word. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.